Verse 18. Moses is speaking. He's up on a mountain speaking to God. It's a great place to be. He had already been speaking because God says, step out of my way, let me just kill them all and start with you all over again, which is funny for an 80-year-old man, but he comes from a lineage of old parents like Abraham. So it's not entirely out of the question or out of God's MO. But he had said, and go back to verse 15, and actually go back to verse 9 for context. There was a pillar that descends and stands at the door of the tabernacle. The Lord speaks with Moses like a man speaks to his friend. And I don't know about you, but if you saw that pillar that led you land, start to speak, would you actually question who was in charge? Yet by number 16, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and 250 others are going to stand up and say, who made you boss? And by the time the whole thing goes down, 14,950 people die. Verse 15, Moses says, Therefore I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you. And then I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. God speaks in return and he says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except that you go with us and so we shall be separate? Your people and I and all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said from all the people, so the Lord said to Moses then, well, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses then turns and says in verse 18 then, and he said, please show me your glory. Verse 19, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious upon whom I will be gracious, or to whom. And I will have compassion to whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see it and live. And the Lord said, Well, here's a place by me, and you shall stand on a rock, and so it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with, a hand, with my hand while I pass by. And then I will take my, away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, by the way. I haven't forgotten about that. So be ready in the morning and come up, to the mo- to the, uh, come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you. Let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So we cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And then Moses rose early in the morning and he went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed there before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering, abounding in all goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing, and notice the guilty is in italics, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses bowed quickly, made haste, and bowed his head toward the earth, and worshipped. 
And then he said, If I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you so, so much for the privilege and the honor that it is to take this time now and to study your word. We pray for more than just information and a transference of it. Lord, I know you know how to speak fervent us, fluent us. So Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come upon me freshly right now that I would be able to speak or you would speak through me that every one of us will be personally addressed the way we need to hear today for more than just getting information, but so that our lives could be changed the way you've ordained for them to be. You've told us, Lord, that from the moment we said, yes, there was a plan already in action to conform us into you. Your image. Let this time be that time where we are further shaped and chiseled and molded and all those things you've ordained for us so that we become more like you. I pray we'd have so much fun in your word and your word would burst open and explode before us that we would be overwhelmed with your goodness and we'd say, wow, what a good God. And that every one of us would be able to say today, I encountered Jesus and my life will never be the same. I pray if there be any who have yet to say yes to you, that gift you've given at the cross, Father, sending your Son Jesus to die for our sins, being dead for three days, and just as your Scripture promised, raising again on the third day, to be not only Savior, but also Lord of our lives, I pray right now that during this time, as your Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that you would cause, Lord, every one of us to encounter you. And if anyone is yet to know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. So now have your way. May we truly laugh and cry and whatever it is you want us to do. But Lord, draw us in and captivate us. And may we truly enjoy you and your word by the power of your Holy Spirit as we surrender ourselves to you and pray you redeem every second. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today, blah, 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 you've heard it now. Like I would any week, please don't just believe me. Never assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures and let the Bible have the final say. I've got a few pictures to show you. And I'd like to ask you if you know what they are. Um, like this picture. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Actually, or this picture. So yeah, now we've seen them all. All right, here we go. Um, backwards, backwards, backwards. Okay. This is a preview of what you're about to see. There we go. Okay. Now, can anyone tell me, now that you've seen all those others, what that is? Other than maybe the glitter you find in Ruthie's hair. Well, to the next picture. It is that tiny little square right there. A cluster of galaxies. Now listen, <coughs> here's my point for even starting you on these. If someone were to ask you to show your glory, what would you show them? What things, what trophies could you bring forth and say, yo, check this out. Things you've made, things you've done, strength you possess, mind capacities, talents, fervents, affinities, fluencies. What was it would you would show? For some of you it would be like, duh, just take a look. This is, by the way, and you'll see with the next few as well, 
Pictures from the Hubble telescope, launched in 1990, sits 353 miles or 569 kilometers above the Earth, orbits every 97 minutes. And that means it goes roughly about 8 kilometers per second. The universe, as the scientists understand it, I don't know what's at the end of it. They say, well, this is the end of the universe. Well, what's on the other side of it? 46 billion light years away, which in essence is about 86 and then 27 zeros miles away. 96% of our universe is hydrogen. Only 4.6% of this universe are, have, are atoms. There are over 100 billion galaxies, as they know, from a few million to over a trillion stars apiece. Our cute little one that we call the Milky Way has over 50 billion planets in it, 400 billion stars. That's an awful lot of stars. That's an awful lot of planets. And yet, if I pulled out Yasmin's eyeball, but I'm not going to, but if I were, and to show you her photoreceptors, there are 130 million photoreceptors in one of Yasmin's eyeballs. Each one of those photoreceptors has over 100 trillion atoms. In other words, if we took all of the stars and planets in the universe as we understood it, her eyeball possesses 250 times more atoms than there are stars and planets in the universe. Imagine that. There could be universes in your eyeball. If we were to measure and go a little bit closer, and we looked at the earth and we compared it to the sun, you can fit roughly a million earths in our sun. They believe that 33 light years away, because, you know, light takes a certain amount of, it's the fastest traveling thing that we have at the moment. There's an exoplanet that they believe is completely covered in burning ice. That would be kind of a fun thought. If the Andromeda galaxy were actually visible because of its size, if it emitted light, the Andromeda galaxy, and we could see it right where it was in the night sky, it would be six times bigger than our moon. Right where it is by the size, the sheer magnificent size of it, even from where it is. For all the stars that die, and I think there are about 20 million stars, they say, that die a day, we shouldn't fear there are 275 million stars that are being born every day. At least this is what the scientists say, and I'm, I don't know how you know this. It isn't like I've been in the galaxy natal ward any time recently, for what it's worth. I do know that they did find something that I thought was really fun. I think this is something I can stand with the scientists on. 250 million light years away, there's a thing called the Boots, vo the, the boots Void. And it is um, literally 250 million light years wide, big, and, it's con and what it contains apparently is absolutely nothing. I I'm, not, I'm not even sure how that works, but just the same. But imagine if God were to like, and Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, well, let me show you some things you don't see. Like, let me show you a few of these pictures from the Hubble telescope. These, and I kid you not, these are not doctored photos. These are, and this isn't like something you pull out of the sun. This is, you know, like the magazine, the tablet. This is actually pictures from the Hubble telescope. Like, for instance, take a look at the next few. These are galaxies. How about that one? 
How about if God said, want to see my glory? Check this out. Or this one. How you like me now? Or my personal favorite, check this baby out. I'm not too sure if it's eating something or it's giving birth. Maybe that, anyways. Yeah, this, I mean, these are galaxies. I mean, if, what if God started with that and said, okay, Moses, you really want to see my glory? And he just picked you up and, went, and picked you up and just held you in space, which apparently, according to scientists, smells like burning steak and metal. I don't know how that works. Um, and, and, and someone said that if you tasted the universe, it would taste like a raspberry. What scientist says this? Okay, anyways. Okay, well, imagine, you know, like, can you imagine something? Everyone's like running around, like, licking the universe. Okay, well, follow me on this. If, <clears throat> or the sun. Just to kind of walk you and pick you around that. Uh, take a look at the next picture. Do you know that if we took all of our nuclear arms, all of our nuclear arms, all of them that exist in the world today, those that Iran says they don't have, and everyone on everything that was a nuclear reactor, and we blew them up at the same time, it would emit the same amount of radiation as is emitted in four seconds on our sun. How's that? How you like me now? God could have done that. Or God could have actually brought you a little closer to earth. Like, for instance, something like this. One of the largest earthquakes. Perhaps you're familiar with that. Imagine being in that building. It's like, forget it, there's a wall between us. Oh, never mind. Okay, listen. May 22nd, 1960, Valdiva, South Chile, 9.5 on the Richter scale. Two million people were left homeless. Tsunamis traveled at over 200 miles an hour. Fifteen hours later, a 35-foot high, that's roughly 10-meter, 11-meter tsunami, hits Hilo, Hawaii. 22 hours later, an 18-foot hit wave, that's 6 meters, hits in Japan. 24 hours later, after the earthquake, it hits the Philippines. 32 people are killed. By that point, you'd think someone had got a memo. You know, okay, get out of it. Speaking of which, God could have said, hey, you know what, you want to see my glory? Watch this. And he remember he's on a mountain, he could have gone, how you like me now? But he didn't do that. Or he could have actually gone with what happens because of that. Speaking of tidal waves, does anyone know the largest tidal wave that ever existed? Does anyone know the tidal wave, that tsunami that hit Indonesia and, and, and Thailand, how big that wave was? 10 meters, 30 feet. 30 feet. Do you know how big that is? Look, this is about, the, the roof of this is about 30 feet. Could you imagine you're like surfing? You're sad, dude. I'm just looking for a big wave. Oh, that's a big wave. That's 30 feet. But do you know what the biggest tsunami that's ever hit was? Alaska. I mean, who wants to live in Alaska at this? Latoya Bay. Get this. You ready for this? Oh, not 30. Not 40, not 50, oh, not 300 feet. 1,720 feet tall. July 9th, 1958, Latoya Bay, Alaska. Let me put that into perspective. When was the last time you looked up at the shard? When was the last time you looked up at the BT Tower? When was the last time you looked up at the Elizabeth Clock Tower, Big Ben? If you took Big Ben and put it on the BT Tower and put that on the shard, that's the way we're looking at here. Now, I don't care how big your mountain is. That wave's going to get you wet. 
Now that could have been, God could have said, how you like me now? You want to see my power? Now look at, we could do like an artist rendition. Go ahead and take a look at a couple of these pictures. Okay, that's sort of like how it's the size of what was affected by that wave. Continue on. How far it went. Now, that would be a little bit intimidating, but that's not even it. I'll give you what it looks like at one-fifth the ratio. You ready for this? Next picture. Like that. Imagine there you are in the office, you're like, honey, I'm going to have to call you back. <laughs> Maybe. That is one-fifth the height of the wave we're talking about here. And that is a natural disaster that we have on this earth. That has actually happened. Or, since we're actually on a mountain, we could go with something like this, for instance. Largest eruptions, for instance. Hypatuna, by the way, or Putina, actually, Peru, 1600, the year 1600. And there's another one in April 1815 in Timora, Indonesia. Mud flows happen. Mud flows. That means all of the area that erupts and comes on just from the bottom, not even the things that hit the air, 75 miles away. I don't even know if you can kind of fathom what that means. What that means is something erupts and basically it's felt, it's like felt up north, you know, somewhere on its way to, and that's just mud flows on its way up to York. The area of ash that hits the sky at one time is so heavy, it drops the entire temperature of the earth by one degree Celsius. We're half to one degree Celsius. Could you imagine? It is a cloud the size of Europe. I thought that'd be kind of fun. Glad that didn't happen lately. Let's show you a few pictures of Jesus. These are smaller eruptions and what they look like. Take a look at that little baby. Or this one. Imagine like, oh honey, I don't think we should go there today. Or this. Perhaps you're familiar with these little dandies. Now, they don't happen a lot here. I was raised in Chicago and I can tell you, these are never fun. I remember my father shoving my grandmother in a closet. It's a very touching moment. May 31st, 2013. You're aware of the fact that that was this year? In El Reno, Oklahoma. They call it the tri-state uh, tornado. There are two different tornadoes that we're looking at. There is one, by the way, that, this, speaking of this one, the width, the width. This is the funnel, the area that touches the ground. 2.6 miles. That's the part that's touching the ground. Let me give you a reference. That is like you're here and you're talking to, to Janae and she's at Shoreditch High Street and we both get hit by the same tornado. How do you like that? The Tri-State one, by the way, the one in Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana, that's March 18th, 1925. Um, that particular one, by the way, lasts for three and a half hours, and it travels a distance of 219 miles. The whole tornado comes at you at 73 miles an hour, with wind speeds up at about 300. That's going to do some pretty radical things to you. Like, for instance... Next picture. Like that, for instance. Yeah. That's actually at about 30 miles away. That's how heavy it hit. So, we won't focus on that one. We'll move on. That poor girl, she's probably suing someone for that right now. And we can look at things like this or like hurricanes. That's our next picture. I mean, you know, that actually looks fairly common here. Um, hurricanes, you're probably aware of the fact that, you know, we can even develop that. One other thing we can look at, it. God could have actually brought in lightning. 
And if God had brought in lightning, and you're probably aware of this, by the way, that a spark can reach over five miles, raise the temperature, by the way, as much as 27,700 degrees Celsius. That will boil water quickly. And it will contain as much as 100 million electrical volts. It's amazing that everybody, anyone ever could survive something like that, you know? And it always seems to be guys from the Midwest in America. Have you noticed that? It's like, ah, I was in my farm and that thing just banged me in the head. I don't know. Um, there I was, just looking for an acorn. And oh my goodness, found my rake too while it happened because it lit the whole sky. Huh? Okay, now, now here's, here's the point. Here's the, I mean, forgive me for this lengthy diatribe, but here's the whole point of it. Is that of all the things in which God could choose to glory and say, this is what, to say, I want to see your glory. And in essence, the word in, the, in Hebrew is the word for depth or weight. In other words, who you really are. But Moses is saying, I want to know who you really are. The funny thing is, so much of these things he's already experienced when he went up in the mountain in the first place. You're aware of it, right? The ground was shaking. There was lightning. There was thunder. There was great winds. All of that stuff was already happening. And, and he, even with all of that, then he says, now show me who you are. And here's the crazy thing. Please hear me, because this is the thing that's really rocked me this week. Is that when God says, I'm going to show you who I really am, He does not do it without, without making it about relationship. Everything He's going to tell us, we're going to see in the Scripture, involves relationship. Every bit of His identity as we know Him comes in regards to our relationship with Him. Can you imagine if that was us? Now think about it. Everything that identifies us, that we fight to be identified by, chances are, have nothing to do with relationship. You're a great dancer. You're strong. You're good looking. You're an actor. You know, you're the carpenter. You're the salesperson. You're a good student. You're a bad student. They're in relation to things, but not people. Imagine if the first thing they said is Naomi the, Shantae the, you know, surely the, and I'll be honest, I start going, maybe there. When you start saying, tell me, give me three adjectives about Shirley, you're probably not going to say, well, oh, that girl can knit. Maybe you can. I really don't know. But I, when I think of adjectives in regards to Shirley, I think of in regards to the way she relates to people. And if we're going to become more like Christ, our identity is going to have to be something that is really knit around people. Hey, to say, like, hey, let's have a successful church in the eyes of the world. You know what that is? Millions of people come. We have a big building and all of that. Notice none of that has to do with relationship. How is that successful? When Jesus heals someone, imagine, here's a guy and he's like, he has, has a withered hand. or Well, in that case, he actually is in front of people. But there are times where, you know, someone's, he's like deathly ill. He's a leper, whatever. And he goes, all right, he heals them. And then he goes, or cleanses them. And then says, now, don't go tell anyone. Like, people are going to look and go, things aren't falling off of you. How did it happen? And it says, but the guys that still continue to run out and tell them, and it says, and then he couldn't even go and have one-on-ones with people anymore because he was so flogged by people. And I get the idea. It wasn't, this wasn't reverse psychology because he wanted people to tell. He just wanted to be able to have the opportunity to sit alone with you for a moment and hear your heart. Because Jesus was always all about relationship. That's the whole point of this. And the Father here making himself that clear. Look at our text now as we dive into it in our moments remaining. Listen to this. Moses says, show me your glory. Chavod. The word meaning weight or depth or strength. God tells us that there are three ways we normally, on a human plane, assimilate or appraise a person's glory. My goodness, pass before you. 
my name, but you can't see my face. And can I just say, that's pretty much what's going to make you up if you're not going to be careful. They'll know you by your strengths, your benefits. That's the word, by the way, tov, the word for goodness. They'll know you by your reputation. That's the word for name, shem, that's the idea there. Or they'll know you panim, by your face. I mean, let's face it, you look at a yearbook, it isn't like they have pictures of feet. Because the most identifiable part of you is your face. It isn't like they go, oh, no, I remember those long toes, that's old Jimmy, what's his name? No, I mean, you look at faces because it's the identifying part of you. And can I say that for some of us, we have this opportunity for a period of time to kind of build up the how you like me now about our faces. We know how to do it in regards to let's do something and build a reputation. I got some street cred now. Check me out. Oh, don't mess with that guy. That guy's serious. Oh, that person really can dance. Or that person really can sing. Or that person's really smarter. Oh, when it comes down to the business, this person really gets her done. That's the reputation. She's really smart. She can really handle this. He's really good at this. God says, but I'm not going to play that game with you. I'm not going to try to meet you at what you think really shows glory. I'm going to show you what I see as really shows glory. Do you see the difference? Here's the scary thing. Think about how people would identify a good church. Is it about relationship? Because scripturally it is. And if it isn't, we need to get serious about what that really means. Now listen... God says, you can't see my face yet and live. So I'm going to do something. And you read this and kind of go, this is really kind of funky. God's like, I'm going to put you, and you're going to sort of set you on a rock. You're kind of going to be behind this rock because there's going to be this cleft. And I'm going to kind of walk by and kind of cover you. And then you get to see my rear end as I leave. What in the world is that? But can I just say that before the cross, what God says in essence is memorize my back. Memorize my back because where I'm going, you need to follow and you need to know which one it is. And if you've ever been in one of those little goofy tours and you see them all over London, right? I mean, somebody holds up their little whatever it is, right? It's like their little mop or their little handle or little footy footy whatever. Thing. And they're like, dee, 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 dee. and you watch the people and they're all like, oh, watch, watch that. Okay, where are we going? Big Ben. We're going to Big Ben. We're going to Big right? And you watch it. Sooner or later, when you get to the end of it, because we saw a couple crews yesterday, they were like 100 people. By the time you're done, there's no way you're going to see that poor gal waving her mop thing in the front. What they're doing is they're memorizing one back. They're memorizing the back in front of them. And they're like, okay, and just kind of... Have you ever, ever followed someone in a car? You memorize the back of the car. It's like, and then someone cuts you off. You're like, oh, no. And you're kind of peeking around and trying to make sure, you know, that you can get back at that car. Understand, God's just like, look at right now, in this season, before we get to the cross, this is the part you're going to need to see. Because this is the part that's going to walk you to where we are going to get face to face because there is a day when we are going to get face to face and he says look at here's the deal but when you see my face you die and right now that's not so good but there is going to be a day when you see my face you're going to want to die because the i have a new you to give you but that new you is going to cost me the cross and unless I get to the cross, I have no new you to give you. But once I get to the cross and I die there and I raise again, I have a whole new you to give you. And then you would say, well, then good, let's get rid of the old guy. But listen to the difference. Because to the world out there where I'm seeking to share Jesus Christ, they don't know about that new life. All they know about is that part that you die. 
And what, who wants to join that club? Hi, let's join the club. You can't have sex. You can't do drugs. You can't do anything you thought was fun. Well, what do you do? We read the Bible and we pray. Yeah, that's going to go over really well. I'm like, I hated school. Don't worry, it's the Bible. Yeah, that's going to go over really well. If there isn't a Jesus involved in this, if there isn't a God who wants a relationship with you, that sounds horrible. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if there isn't a resurrection, if we're not new creations, we're the most pitiful people on the planet. Because we actually gave up the temporary fun for no fun. But can I be honest with you? There's never been anything more fun in my life than what I get to do. Nothing. I've never had a bigger thrill than watching people come to know Jesus. And there's nothing more exciting than waking up and seeing on the edge of my bed that gift to unwrap. That's the day and going, Lord, what are we going to do today? And he goes, I'll show you later. All right, cool. Let's walk. Please hear me. Listen to this. Listen to this verse as we move into it. Listen to this verse. In 2 Corinthians 3, it says this in verse 18. We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transported into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is God who commanded light to shine it out of the darkness who was shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge, hear me, hear me, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When Jesus shows up on town, the face is to be seen because a whole new life comes when the old death is, is given. So please hear me in this. Moses says, show me the glory. And he goes, what are you looking for? My goodness? Looking for my reputation? Moses already seems to know those things. Remember how he said, hey, look, at, I'm really concerned about your reputation. You kill all these people, the Egyptians are going to say he got them out but couldn't get them in. What, you really want to see my face? This isn't the time for that, Moses. But if you really want to know what I'm about, I'll tell you what I'm about. I'm going to put you, and I'm going to actually proclaim who I am. You want to know who I am? I'll proclaim it. So the Lord said, look, here's a place. By me, stand on this rock. And I go, wait a minute. I wonder if this is what David was thinking about when he wrote Psalm 61, when he said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I And in the very next psalm, he is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. I will not be greatly moved. So I'm going to put you in this rock. But this rock is going to be one where somehow it's going to be covered. There's going to be this rock between me and you in this. Though you're standing on it, it's going to be your rock. And in that rock, it's going to be between you and me. And I'm going to pass through. And I start to think about this, friends. And please hear me in this. I start to see the issue. Because before we even get to God proclaiming these things... God's going to deal with Moses first. And the question is, do you really want to see who God really is? Do you want to know God for who He really is? Are you cool with His stats? Are you cool with just going, you know, He's a Savior, He's God, and that's, I'm good enough with that? Because there's a whole lot of people out there that feel like they've hedged their bets on heaven because they know a few stats about God. But can I say it starts with this. Between you and me is a really, really big rock and that needs to be dealt with if I really want to see who for who you really are are you with me on this so work this out with me I'm going to use a couple examples and I'm taking this pram don't worry if you need it if you need it just let me know 
playing the role of the Lord today will be Andrew. Andrew, come and stand right here for a second, if you would, please. Playing the role of the needy sinner will be Arena. Okay, everyone, this is Arena. Arena is a gal, like every one of you gals, she's a human being, she breathes, she eats, occasionally. (laughs) And here she is, and there's this rock in between them. And she really wants to get to know the Lord for who, she really wants to get to know the Lord for who he really is. Not just, okay, there's this guy and he seems like he's really cool or he's an angry old father time character. looks like Father Christmas on a diet with a stick. You know, whatever it is, right? You know, maybe he just loves everyone and he doesn't really care and he's kind of like a marshmallow. Well, on the other side of it, there's, she really wants to know for who he really is, but there's this rock. And this rock is the rock of her guilt and her sin. And here's the problem. What God says is you can't get over it or around it because if you try to get over it or around it, you're going to die. There's the problem. Because you're going to try to get to see my face right now. And here's the problem, is that she could do this. She could say, well, I know what I'll do to try to make him happy. I'll do good stuff. So she, she kind of, she, she knits him a really nice pot holder. She kind of puts it here. She draws him a really nice drawing and she puts it here. She writes him a song and she puts it onto a CD and then puts that CD right there for him. She makes this video of this dance that she's done, puts the thing on a DVD, makes it in a really nice, lovely box set, stacks it up. And by the time she's done, she has this really nice pile of stuff. But the problem is she still can't get to him because this is still here. This doesn't move this. It's just stuff. Are you with me on this? And this is the problem with every other religion, is there's still the rock. And the rock, this big rock, is in between Arena and God. There's the problem. And so what happens is they say, well, maybe if I just prayed this many times and I took this trip to someplace else and made this pilgrimage and I threw a rock at this post. Or, or maybe if I just chanted and I ate yogurt and I sat up on a hill in an uncomfortable position until I lose circulation in my legs. Or I shave my head and I run around and I bang a drum and I put mustard on my head and I run around and I tell people things and they go like this. You know, I'm down on Oxford Street or whatever it is. It's a pile of stuff. It doesn't move the rock. Do you get that? And this is what Scripture says. God made him who knew no sin, Second Second Corinthians as well, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. She wants to be right with him. To be right with him, she wants to be with him, but she can't be with him because there's a big rock in the way. Jesus says, I know what I'll do. I will become that rock and I'll get beat and then I'll get the rock out of the way because it's the guilt that needs to be punished. So what happens? Jesus comes, he becomes the rock Boom, he gets beat, he gets killed, he raises from the dead, and when he does, this gets moved out of the way, and when he gets moved out of the way, there's nothing left but Arena's choice to come or not. Do you get it? That's the point. Have a seat. Thank you, guys. Now, please listen to this. Here is the point on this. He puts Moses, and there's a rock between him, and God says, but here's the love in it all. He isn't like, well, you might want to reach out, I'm still going to reach out to you. Even above that rock, God's like, I'm going to reach out to you and give you just enough to say, follow me. How can I follow you past this rock? God says, trust me, I'll take care of that. Are you with me on this? Now listen what it's going to take if we're going to get ready for God's glory. And I really expect God to glorify himself, but I would never expect God to glorify himself in any way that doesn't involve people. Well, wouldn't we love it? It's like if we go, God, we just want to see your glory right now. What in the world does that mean? What do you think we would expect? People to levitate? People to bark? Chicken to fall out of the sky? 
So that sounds pretty good right now. But no, but if we're gonna listen, 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 watch, look at the scripture with me. Chapter thirty-four, verse one. Let's get ready to see God's glory. The Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, that I will write on these tablets the words which were on the first tablets, <clears throat> which you broke. You get it. Can I say three things real quick here as we're going to prepare to see God's glory? The first is, if I'm going to see God's glory, I'm going to have to deal with the fact that I am a lawbreaker. God's like, if you really want to see me, come. I want you to come knowing you've broken the law in front of me. Interesting, in Exodus 30, I'm sorry, Exodus 24, 12, when God called him up the first time, he says, listen, come up to me on the mountain, be there, and I will give you tablets of stone. The first tablets were ones God gave Moses. Now Moses has to cut his own, but when he shows up there, nothing's written on him. And can I just say, if you really, really want to see God's glory in your life, Come with an empty slate. Is that fair? And here's the danger, beloved. Please hear me in this, and I'll try to go quickly. Is that if you're looking around to see God's glory, it may be that somebody encounters God in a way that really affects them. It just may not be the way you do. And so what happens is, Jay is seeking the Lord, and the Lord gets a hold of his heart and squeezes his heart, and Jay just starts to cry because he sees the goodness of the Lord and he sees the depravity of his own sin and he's just like, oh God, you are so good. The problem is Nathaniel's really hungry to encounter God and he's kind of looking around to see how do I encounter God and he sees Jay crying and he goes, the move of God. And to be honest, it is the move of God in Jay. And Nathaniel may not be the kind that cries, but now that he sees that that must be the move of God, he starts to take what's happening in Jay and thinks, well, I have to do it too. The problem is, it always seems like the flesh jumps in and it becomes competitive. So now all of a sudden, Jay's just kind of sitting there quietly, tears are streaming down his face. And by this point now, Nathaniel starts to look at him and he starts going, <laughs> because he really wants to make sure he not only experiences God, but he experiences God most. The problem is then Lucas looks, and this is Lucas now. Lucas, he's Brazilian. He's like, you know, he's, he's got passion. He's got fire in his heart. So, so what happens is, you know, Jay's over here, and he just kind of tears his stream in, and, you know, Nathaniel's going, oh, oh, oh. But at this point now, Lucas is like, oh, 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 And by the point, the thing is, now look at, that could all still be the Lord, or it couldn't. The point is that by the time that Jay started going for it, Nathaniel stopped coming with a clean slate. Does that make sense? And here's the scary thing. Even if all of that truly was a move of God's Holy Spirit today, next week, guess what happens? Nathaniel shows up and he expects to cry. And if he doesn't, he's like, oh, I didn't encounter God like I did last week. Because he didn't show up with a clean slate. Does that make sense? If I'm going to go to God and I really want to see Him for who He really is, I've got to start by recognizing that I'm a lawbreaker. Because if I don't start recognizing that I'm a sinner, I'll come actually to want to get God's power to punish someone or to vindicate me. But if I come recognizing I'm a lawbreaker, I come kind of humble. Does that make sense? First of them. Second, notice what happens next. He says, now, be ready in the morning. And come up to the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. The second thing is that I bring myself to God. 
I recognize that I am a lawbreaker. I come with an empty slate. And I present myself to God. And now as I say, God, here I am. See, here's the difference. And when I say, God, here I am, I'm not saying, God, here's my agenda. God, here's my plan. What I need is a fire from you to come down. What I need is this because someone's questioning my calling or because what I really need. But I come in and go, Lord, I am, I'm surrendering myself to you. That's the idea. Literally, it's to station yourself under. In other words, you actually threw yourself at the Lord and said, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. Because God's like, I don't want to show my glory to someone who doesn't want to be mine. He does but often to raise up so others would come to him. Here's the third thing, and this is the tough one on this, verse 3. No man shall come up with you. Let no man be seen throughout all the mountain, neither the flocks nor the herds feed before this mountain. The third, come alone. You see, if I really am seeking to know God for who He really is, what He really wants is to have a one-on-one with me. And that becomes tough. Because when we think we really want to see the glory of God, it's almost like we wait till we all meet together to see how God's going to manifest. But the truth be told, if God manifested among us, quite often it could be done in a way that there really is no relationship with Him in it. Like what we're waiting for is feathers to fall from the sky and we'd say it was angels. Or, you know, I mean, it's like amazing what things we look for. And God's like, I'm not interested in performing for you. What I really want is to let you know who I am because I want to be with you. There's the difference. Scripture says that we are to praise the Lord with the harp and the timbrel, with the sound of a trumpet, with the dance. Please hear me. The harp is a very quiet instrument. I have every instrument in Scripture, at least one, a replica or the, or the genuine of every instrument in Scripture because I really wanted to understand how these things play out. And one thing I've learned, when David writes, this song's for an eight-string harp or this song's for a ten-string harp or an instrument of gas, they're really not loud instruments. So what you think is, you think of somebody with kind of just an acoustic guitar just kind of sitting there and just kind of singing a song. This is an intimate moment. It's a harp time. The Hebrew word for harp is chinaret. The Greek word is gineser. It's two of the four names of the Sea of Galilee because it's shaped like a, like a harp. If you go to the Sea of Galilee, one of the things you'll notice is how quiet it gets when you get to the top. It's one of my favorite places in the universe. It's the one place I go that I would say is the most spiritually selfish place, if that makes sense. I'm like, this is for me and you. This is my honeymoon spot with God. And I get up, it's the only place I can get up before the sun rises every day. The sky turns red as it rises up over the eastern hills. And it gets so quiet, I can hear the wind underneath a mud duck as it flies. And I'm there and I go, all right, Lord. Are we okay? Am I missing anything? Am I too busy to hear you speak? Is there anything not right? What am I doing right that I should continue to do? And I get alone with them, and I just like, Lord, I just want to, can I just say, I want to, I, I just, I love you. And I just want to thank you that I get to be here with you. It's harp time. There are songs that are written that no one will ever hear because they're just songs between me and him that are just harp songs. We're to do that. But then we're also to praise him with the trumpet. 
Trumpets are these big, long, fanfare trumpets, and they're what calls everybody into action. It calls a city in because of a wedding. It calls a city in for a battle. And there's certain kinds of blasts for each. They're very serious. A trumpet's a very loud and upstanding thing. Now, that's what happens when the full band kicks in now, and they're gathering a crowd. The drummer's kicking in, bass player's playing hot, everything's nice and big, you've got the big PA, everything's happening. And he goes, look, at both work. Here's the problem. You can't have a really good trumpet time if you don't have a really good harp time. He talks about that prayer closet. And here's the danger. So much of what we want to do can only, we feel like we can only do at church. That's like, well, we need a time where we can all get together and speak in tongues. Now, hey, I'm not against speaking in tongues, but in our fellowship, let's be honest, there's so many countries represented. You spoke your own native tongue in speaking in tongues here. I'm just thinking, well, we get to praise God. But please hear me. My question is, do you do it at home? I just want to dance to the Lord. And by the way, just so you know, we try to leave the area behind the pews open for anybody that just really wants to praise God in the dance. Hey, look at We don't put you in front of people because it's you and God. That's the whole point of it. But I would hope you'd do that at home as well. No matter what it is, I want it to be harp time because you know what? I've learned, I discover so much more about him alone with him because it is just me and him and I come with a clean slate. Because I don't have any sort of presets that I have to play before God and go, hold on, I can't do that around here. There's got to be a place where you can get alone and just be like, Lord, look at if you want to break me to tears or you want to bring me to laughter or you want to just sit and I just want to rest in you quietly. I, I don't want to demand how you're going to move me. I just want you to know I'm yours and I come with a clean slate. And I don't want to walk out of there going, oh, I didn't experience this or I didn't levitate or I didn't bark or I didn't cluck or I didn't slap someone or I didn't feel like I was intoxicated. I just want to tell you that I just want to rest in your arms and if all we do is sit here and do nothing together I'm okay with that but let's be honest those of you as we get older isn't that how our friends are we don't feel like we have to entertain them all the time our truest friends are ones we could just sit next to and not feel like we even have to talk unless it's necessary and just kind of just be there and breathe the same air and that's good enough It's like, Lord, I don't want to tell you to do anything. I just know this. I know you love me. I just want you to know I love you. And if Mary chose the better service by sitting at your feet while you just did what you did, I just want to do the same. Can I just challenge you? I don't think we're supposed to go any farther today. Because clearly, if we rush through the rest of it, it would be criminal. You have a week to prepare for God to glorify himself in the rest of this particular text. But Can I just start with this? Where are you at in these areas? Where am I at in these areas? First of all, in my own identity, can I be known as a person in regards to relationships? And you know, it's like, hey, look at. Let me just say this, and I'm going to blow this out of the water, and like, and hold me accountable for the rest of my life to this. I do not equate a good pastor with a guy that just teaches well. Just the same way that I don't think I'd be a good dad because I fed my kids. Hey, it is a part of it, but it is not the only thing. A real pastor is going to love you and pray for you and seek to be available. And I'm not saying that to condemn anyone else because I don't know what anyone else's business is and I don't want to know. All I know is this. Real pastors actually seek to be available. Now look at That doesn't mean we can chase you down every 24, you know. And if you start feeling insecure, it's like we're going to go and chase after you when you run away. The bottom line in it is, is that part of it really is just to seek to be available. But in that, God wants to raise up every person to be a pastor. Are you aware of that? Now, I'm not talking about everyone's going to be on staff at a church. What I'm saying is, is that every person should have a shepherd's heart if we're seeking to become more like Jesus. 
And that may just be that you have a heart for your family or a heart for your friends or a heart for your community or your workplace or the people that you ride the bus with or the train with every day. But in the end of it all, or the people in your company, whatever it is, I just know this, that as we become more like Jesus, it has to become more about people. And if it isn't, I think we're growing the wrong way. So God says, look at I want you to prepare. I want you to deal with the fact that you're a sinner just like everyone else. You're no greater than anyone else. You're just as in need. Jesus died for you just like he did me. Deal with that. And then come with a clean slate. Can you do that? What if we did that? What if we spent a week? What if we spent a week praying that? God, I want to come next week with a clean slate. But not just here. In the morning when you got up, God, I'm going to come this day with a clean slate. Now, there are things on my diary, but I still want to say, if you need to muck about, you just tell me. I'm not going to freak out when the train's late because I clear you're in, you're in control. And at night, when I get alone in your word, I want to come with a clean slate. I don't want to go, oh, yeah, 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 that's that text. No, 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 I want to come with a clean slate because there's something that you want to reveal to me that I, I hadn't seen before. Or something that I have known, but it has a deeper impact today because of my life at the moment. Can I do that? Would I be willing in that to come with that clean slate and to do so and to think, all right, Lord, am I really willing to invest in my time alone with you as we do this? Or am I just really just trying to get to say, I know what Jesus' face looks like? So please hear me as we go to prayer. The one thing that he says in between those two is just bring yourself to me. Throw yourself at me with your clean slate with a heart that says this is me and you now I'm yours could you imagine if that's what this week was what would it look like next Sunday we came here with just 50, 100 of us just coming and saying I'm yours I'm just yours and what we'll find is is that he's going to probably my guess is more of you are going to serve each other and not that I think that what you're doing is poor but we'll all be available to be used. What happens when a whole church rises up as a family to serve each other? Aren't you thankful your body does that? And we're the body of Christ. So as we go to prayer, no big fires, earthquakes, great winds. Funny the Lord wasn't in them to Elijah. A still small voice takes a relationship. You can shout at a stranger. But if you whisper at a stranger, you're creepy. Imagine. Hi. You know, if you did that, what you might get is a seat for your friend. But the Lord loves you enough. Yeah, some of you are already you're already going with that one, aren't you? You're thinking, hmm. The same voice that created the heavens that splinters the cedars of Lebanon gets to be a still small voice so your eardrums don't explode. So we can speak. And if you think that all God has to say to you is how you need to change, you ever see anyone that got in a relationship and that's how they got into it? Oh, I'm going to change them. Thinking, hmm, good on you. I better pray now. As we go to prayer, beloved, please today, 
I believe that the Lord's going to show you His glory tonight. I believe He's going to show you His glory tomorrow morning. I believe for some of you, He's going to wake you up in the middle of the night to tell you who He is. I believe for some, the Lord's just going to tomorrow blindside you with Him. And to be honest, all He's looking is for you to come with a clean slate, a humble heart, willingness to surrender, and coming alone. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I pray for this week and what you're going to do. We don't want you to manifest your glory so you can vindicate or validate us. You did that at the cross. We want to know you. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would take our hearts, that we would humbly come before you as sinners, guilty for the law we've broken. And now we come before you and we present ourselves to you with clean slates. And when we seek to see your face, you show us Jesus. Who is the likeness of your glory, the perfect representation of your glory, and the exact representation of your being. I pray, Lord, for where we've been so caught up in finding and trying to find the glory of others, worthless things. friends that are bad influences, habits that are only harmful, a world that has no real great glory to offer. Forgive us for where we've turned from you to do so. And I pray you would completely and absolutely saturate us with you. I pray, Lord, you overcome us so that today, Lord, we would be transformed. Today. That we would start to look more like you. And I know if that be the case, then people are going to be on our radar, not stuff. And so, Lord, I pray as we openly confess Jesus, you dying on the cross for every one of our sins to pay for that great boulder in between us and you, the weight of our sin. And rose again on the third day just like your scripture promised. We pray today that you would make us people who not only accept you, Jesus, as Savior and ransom, which demands relationship, but Lord, 
which demands surrender. So in the same way, we don't come with tablets full of things. Jesus, you can save me and reinvent me as long as you keep me an athlete or strong or smart or talented or socially gifted or this lifestyle, this thing. Lord, we come with an empty an empty script now. We give you the, the whole thing, Lord. We hand you our laptop of our lives and we say, Lord, now rewrite the script of our lives for your glory. That when we stand at death's door, we stand with absolute confidence saying, I know this God. Because Jesus, you tell us that there will be a day you will stand there and there will be those that will call you then, Lord, Lord, and you will say, I never knew you. And I just pray, Lord, for the soul of this city that today, Lord, you bring our hearts to a place of absolute intimacy with you. And in doing so, fix what's broken in our priorities, in our choices, in our relationships. Fix it all, I pray. And if there's anyone who has not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, and even if you're not sure what that is, it's the accepting the gift that Jesus paid by removing that which is between you and him, the penalty of your sin. Listen to this prayer, I pray, and if you agree at the end, I simply ask you to say, Amen, and what you're saying is, I agree, let that prayer be my prayer, and here it is. God in heaven, I confess to you, I am a sinner, I've broken your law. I don't even know them all, but I know I've broken them. I know, Lord, that I'm not, all my good works do not remove that thing which is between us. But I do trust you sent your son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross so that all of my guilt could be punished. And then he rose again on the third day just like you promised so that I could have a new life, no longer living in the condemnation of my guilt, no longer living in the bondage of my sin, and no longer living under the misguidance of the enemy. But now I surrender myself to you with this new relationship I have this relationship I have with you as my creator and Lord. And in that I thank you. So here I am, I'm yours. I believe in you now. I trust and I confess Jesus is my Savior and Lord. I'm yours in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.